Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. I'm Harold Nickel. This week, we are going to discuss how online security can be positively impacted by Agile. The move to Agile development practices poses challenges and opportunities to security teams, but the challenges seem to dominate, and there are some organizations that are finding ways to work Agile into their security arrangements. And, Ren, this is really something we haven't talked about a whole lot in terms of how Agile and security could potentially complement each other. But before we get too deeply into that, can you give us an idea of what Agile security is? From a purely practical sense, um, the security that we use for software development in Agile isn't largely different than traditional project management. With the the big difference is how it's handled. So when we think about um, Agile, is done in very small bite size chunks where mm-hmm. we do the design, development, and testing all in a single user story instead of over a nine to eighteen month life cycle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that allows us to do what I call embedded security. So we include security considerations and concerns in um, the appropriate user stories. Not all user stories need to be thinking about security, Mm -hmm. but we need to be very conscious of the ones that do and make sure that we're embedding the security in the design, development, and testing. The other thing that is a little that is very different with the safe model, so the scaled agile framework, is we have a group called DevOps. Mm-hmm. Really is development operations, but everybody calls it DevOps. And it's a centralized group that is setting the architecture and uh the runway um of what it takes to get software to production or that last push to market is how we think of it. Mm-hmm. That group also has a role in assuring security, uh, especially physical security, but as well also uh, testing for embedded software security. And then another piece that we have in Agile, so Agile is a big umbrella that includes extreme programming. I use this um, often with my clients in helping them pair two developers together. One is coding and the other one's trying to break it. And overall, this improves the quality of the code. But when we are specifically looking at security issues, uh, this has been very impactful. And I've been able to really work with my clients to solve some of their biggest security concerns and identify potential security concerns. Yeah, that sounds, um, that just sounds so cool because uh, code breaking is. Uh <laughs> not something you you hear a whole lot about, but you're saying that they'll invite somebody to come try to break in. Is that what you're saying? Well, and actually, they, I usually have them sit right next to each other, and one person writes the code, pushes it to the branch, and then the second person picks it up and starts trying to break it. Wow. And they usually do <laughs> the first few tries, to be honest. Um, and then they push it back to the coder. The coder rewrites it, pushes it back to the person who's going to break it, and they go back and forth until they can't break it anymore. It's like ping pong. 
just back and it forth. Is. Yeah. And, you know, especially when you have a really good agile team, you know, where they're cohesive, there's a lot of trust, it's actually very entertaining for the people involved, and it becomes like a game. Oh, uh, you know, as you said that, that's exactly what I was thinking, that it sounds like fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it, it would is, be fun. And it's fun for other people on the team to watch it. To be honest with you, and I admit to encouraging some some teams um, to taking uh, non monetary bets, of course, completely legal non monetary bets oh, of on how many rounds they will go before they get to um, satisfactory. Well, that that's a spectator sport. It's competitive, and you end up with better, more secure software. So. It sounds like a pretty good like a pretty good way of of doing things, right? And it's pretty fast paced, to be honest with you, uh, because you're usually writing one or two lines at a time, and and so it's it can be very entertaining. Yeah, man, you guys are just wizards and extremely effective. So, for software developers in particular, um, when they're using open source. Software are they are they inviting security trouble when they use things that are open source and do they have ways to identify security threats in open source software early on? Yes. Well, it's to your first question: Are they inviting trouble? It kind of depends on the software and what they're planning on using. This has been one of the issues with. Um, some open source uh, uh, operating systems mm -hmm. is that it was discovered that some people put in backdoors that allowed it a lot easier for hackers to get into your systems. Um, whereas we have other um, open source codes, um, you know, GitHub, um, Jenkins, Garrett, I mean, there's a long list that are really there to help the software development process. And currently, you know, no one has found any major issues with those. And they don't seem to, to pose much of a threat. So we think of like how many times um, people use WinZip. Mm -hmm. Well, that's open source, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Um, Adobe has made PDF largely open source. Yeah. So any of us can create our own PDF documents. So I mean, we think about it just in the de desktop sense. I think it makes it easier for people to understand how software professionals distinguish between the types of open source codes they're willing to bring in and introduce to their environment. The other consideration is, do you have to? Mm -hmm. um, typically, um, open source co code that you um, get exclusively from a cloud network somewhere, mm -hmm. we don't usually use in software development. It's got a higher risk, and it's really not something you want to create a dependency on. Um, where some of the examples I gave you are things that you download locally and use locally, um, which creates a, a lot less risk. As far as identifying threats, we've been looking at these kind of things pretty much since open source code was initially developed in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. It's and it is something that IT professionals 
are constantly monitoring. And we still have bulletin boards, by the way, that monitor all this open source code. And people, as soon as they find threats, will post it. I know developers and architects, especially architects and DevOps people, who have an RSS feed constantly from those bulletin boards. And so if a threat is posted, they get notified immediately, and they can go and investigate it and see if it might be a potential issue for them and their organization. So it sounds like um, the software writing community at least uh, acknowledges that there's issues in this space, but deep down, do they really care about security or is this just something that kind of wastes their time and keeps them from things that they're more interested in doing? The vast majority of the software industry cares deeply. Mm. Um, When we look at the entire profession, um, hackers, the people who make it onto the news because they're doing bad things, Mm -hmm. usually are about 1% of the total population. And then we look at the next ring, which is people who are fans of the hackers. They're another one or two percent of the population. So in any given day, more than 95 percent of the software community and the IT community are the opposite (laughs) of people. They're not interested in hacking. They want to do good work. They want security. Um, They're trying to protect their software assets and their intellectual property within reason. I mean, all of us really believe, and people who are listening to this podcast and have gone to my website and such know that I feel the same way, that we all benefit from sharing knowledge and experiences and that it, that shouldn't always be monetized, mm-hmm. right? So this podcast is free, and I have a white paper that's free, and I'm right. frequently providing free information, and people in the Agile community are very dedicated to that as well. We believe the collaboration is what gets us the best possible results. Yes. Um, and hacking um, is actually destructive, and it breaks down the trust and it breaks down opportunities for collaboration. So we're, as a whole, pretty vehemently against that behavior. Yeah, and and who knew that hackers had fans until just now? They do. They do. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Most of them have fan boards and all kinds of, kinds of stuff. It's pretty interesting. Incredible. Well, let's shift gears and let's talk about Agile Teams and the presence of a security person on the individual Agile team, is it your thought that the Agile team should have a a security person included? Absolutely, and I would actually argue, and this is what I've been working with my clients on, is that every member of an Agile team should have some um, experience or knowledge regarding security. So often we look at security as an IT issue when it's really a business issue. Mm-hmm. The business is the, is the group of people who are making the decisions around the cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth the cost to mitigate this particular risk? Right. So most of those decisions, and let's be honest, almost all governance decisions are made by the business. Mm-hmm. IT is the enabler. Right. Um, but... IT, especially when it comes to software security, are 
the absolute experts and even developing it or testing it or breaking security. And so they need to be at the table as well in contributing their knowledge and experience. It should be a very collaborative, interactive engagement and every single member of the team should have some responsibility around security. Yeah, and I think what you said earlier about the value of sharing and collaboration, um, if this was a space where that was going to be a help to everybody on the team, then uh, it certainly is. Now, mm-hmm. I just wonder though, in secret maybe, is there rivalry <laughs> or natural antipathy between the security team and the software development team? Are they are they really rivals if they just sort of, you know, pretend to be friends on the surface? In traditional um, software development and project management, too often they are mm-hmm. rivals and there is anticipate between them because one is trying to get something of value um, to the market as quickly as possible and the other one feels like a cop. Mm-hmm. This is one of the silos that I've worked very hard with my clients to break down. Security and security concerns should be part of the overall Agile team. And so either on the Agile team or what I've worked with many organizations on implementing the SAFE model, security becomes part of the DevOps team. And they're helping to set the standards, they're helping to create the runway for success for multiple Agile teams. But when we see the standards, it's always setting a minimum standard, but challenging the Agile teams to go a little bit further. We're going to say this is the minimum level of security you have to achieve, but we actually want you, if you can, to take it further than that and make it more secure and make it safer. Yeah, that sounds like a, a a a valuable way to do things. Um, and if you step back and think about it, just kind of a kind of a common sense approach to the whole issue of agile and security. Mm-hmm. Now, I've read that IT technology evolves very quickly, and that security technology lags behind. So, if security isn't given a priority it seems like we're given we're given the bad guys a leg up we're giving them an advantage why doesn't security technology keep up with cloud based workers who are located all over the place and how can agile help to fix this well i mentioned the hackers before and the hackers have been using agile practices for a very 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 long time. Wow, yeah. And because of because it works and it gets a, a quicker result, quick time to market, if you will. Whether they're trying to hack into, you know, um, somebody's credit card database or if they're just trying to create a worm, it doesn't matter. The turnaround and the quality is really high. Mm-hmm. The struggle on the other side is most of the organizations that have the highest security risks are not agile mm-hmm. and are not using agile development and security practices. Wow. I mentioned this a while ago because we did talk a little bit about 
there's a, I think a podcast in March, mm-hmm. is I've worked with um, clients and I've helped them set up a security agile team. And all they do is go around the company and try and hack into the company huh. and find breaches. And it's this fun scavenger hunt for them, you yeah. know. I had one team that used to call them um, We're Waldo. Their job was to go around and find these security breaches that they would call Waldo. So it was every day was, okay, where's Waldo today? Oh, okay. And they would just um, write user stories um, with, with help from audit and DevOps and leadership and say, okay, where are the areas that we're concerned? They would even go to, um, uh, you know, different dev environments um, that application development teams were using and they would try and hack their work and find breaches and then they would give those teams feedback and that's all they were doing. And the advantage, and we talked about this a while ago, was when there was a breach identified, this team very quickly figured out how to shut it down, um, fix it, and prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of practices that most companies and I'll even say organizations um, are not doing mm-hmm. and to their great det- detriment, I believe. Yeah. And speaking of detriment, last week we all found out that the Internal Revenue Service was was hacked and there were criminal groups that bought full sets of personal data that came straight out of the IRS database. And that was stuff like social security numbers. And I know you've told us before how much waste there is in government, but it seems like an agile team could, as you say, plug security holes like these at the IRS in in pretty short order, couldn't they? Absolutely. And that's a great example of what I was talking about that I've worked with other clients with is they had a standing security agile team. That is something they probably could have identified much sooner than they did and definitely been able to shut it down and and rectify it, Mm -hmm. resolve it much quicker than they did. But the um, challenge, and I don't want to single out governments as wasteful because we've talked about corporations being wasteful too. But one of the challenges with introducing Agile to our government agencies is actually our politicians. (laughs) Because (laughs) the, the great strength of Agile is that you create a fixed budget, you create a fixed schedule, and then what you focus all your energies on is how you can get the best value through that system. Mm-hmm. And our politicians, and the IRS is a fantastic example, have been cutting away and cutting away and cutting away the budgets of these organizations and so taking away the ability to have that fixed budget. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, and we've really seen this hugely in the federal level, haven't been very disciplined about passing budgets on time and how how many times in the last couple of years have we been threatened with government shutdowns and all that stuff. That completely messes up your schedule, Mm -hmm. too. And so we've actually weakened ourselves as a company, whether the IRS is agile or not, we have absolutely weakened ourselves as a company by creating that much ambiguity, um, that much instability 
into our government systems. Mm-hmm. So even if they don't go agile and want to just beg them to stop screwing around with people, it's really dangerous. Yeah. And we see with the IRS, whose budget has been hacked to bits um, over the last few years. I know people often cheer that, but it's actually a really, really bad thing. I, I'm cheering. <laughs> 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 it's, it's really, really bad. And here's one of the many examples as to why this has a these budget cuts and this insecurity in our federal systems has a really negative impact on individual lives. If we had more of a strategic thought process from our leaders, whether again, whether it doesn't matter if it's corporate or or government. Um, who really thought, okay, our job is to create the greatest value and to protect the assets of our stakeholders, they would be behaving very differently and we would be getting very different results as citizens and as consumers. Yeah, and, and all kidding aside, when when people's personal private information is exposed like that and available for sale, um, it's it's a huge danger to those people and um, and available to sale to let's be honest our greatest security risk to us right now and that's Russia oh sure most of these are wound up in Russia yeah and that's yep. very cold worldly of me but <laughs> just being <laughs> honest most of our security attacks come from Russia or uh, China yeah I think um, cybersecurity in that realm is uh, something that everybody should be worried about which brings me to another question about Mm -hmm. security it seems like security checks are saved for the end of a project at least on the traditional project teams agile teams though work in um, smaller slices of output of work and -hmm. those are inclusive of everything so the security is baked in to agile teams and their work. So if somebody like me who is a real novice when it comes to the advantages of agile can can process this, how come people who really know what's what when it comes to software development don't acknowledge and act on that? A lot of it's culture. Hmm. And you know, one of the things that um I started talking about more lately is um, the people who are um, in charge of all of our various organizations right now got there uh, because they were successful in that traditional project management and delivery methodology. That makes sense. They're successful because they're really good about talking about how they're going to cut budgets, Mm -hmm. let's be honest. And not they're not successful and they didn't get promoted because they were really good at delivering value. Mm -hmm. We now have, um, really starting with my generation, but definitely the generation after me, are focused on value. Mm -hmm. And I'm not as focused on, um, you know, cutting budgets and outsourcing and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, That seems like superficial game playing to, to us um, just because 
we've seen how it manipulates the stock market, and it is somewhat manipulative. Um, and we know that um, by fixing costs, by fixing schedule, what really matters at the end of the day is the value you create. So when you think in a purely capitalist terms, does it matter what you spend? Not really, not by itself. Mm-hmm. Does revenue matter? Yeah, but not by itself. Mm-hmm. Either one, expense or revenue, are only important in terms of profitability, their relationship to each other. And we've had um, two generations in a row who only focused on expense or only fo- focused on revenue and didn't focus on profitability. Mm-hmm. We now have a generation, soon to be two generations in the workplace, that really only care about profitability. And we call it business value now. But that's really what they're talking about. Um, we, expense and revenue are interesting, but not by themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's this cultural shift that we're seeing in a lot of organizations. Google is huge. Apple is a great example. They are extraordinarily successful because they've made this shift. They stopped thinking about things just in terms of expense or just in terms of revenue, but everything is about profitability and business. Yeah, that, that's a good word. And, you know, we all see um, the, the companies that let people go and... Wall Street rewards them. It would be great if they would shift the way they view value, the way that you've described it. Right. And they are starting to. Again, we look at companies like um, Apple, and Apple's stock starts to to slide if Apple hasn't come out with something new and innovative in Mm. the last six months. So we're starting to see a little bit of, of that shift. So let's talk about a little bit more time. Yeah, yeah, and um, let it come sooner than later. (laughs) How would so? Let's talk about story development. How would you use story development to strengthen agile security? So I mentioned earlier that everyone on the agile team should have some knowledge and expertise around security, particular to their role. Um, And then we would actually write that into the user stories. Where it gets really called out and is more obvious is in the acceptance criteria Mm -hmm. for the user story because that really drives the definition of the the value, um, what we need the software or the product to do, its behavior, but also um, what defines it as done and being production ready. Mm That's a good word as well, but let's take it another step. And I wonder if it's possible to incorporate or add security to an Agile team that's already already up and running. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, we usually do it through um, embedding it into the team. So either in their existing um, roles and responsibilities, we'll add it, or um, sometimes we'll add someone who has a particular uh, security specialty that is needed um, for that team. Um, so I remember years ago we used to have bring in people who had expertise in uh, cloud networking. Mm-hmm. Now that's become almost somewhat mundane in most software companies, uh, so we don't have to do that as much. But that's an example of where we would bring in a particular 
uh, team member who has a, a very necessary expertise. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's a good word. And you know, today I learned that hackers have fans, and that uh, <laughs> and that they do, and that code breaking is um, a competitive and spectator sport. So, so many, so much to this agile way of thinking that you expose us to, Ren. And um, I know that I enjoy learning about it, and I'm sure that the folks who tune in to the program do as well. With the time we have left, you have a speaking engagement coming up during the month of June. Tell us about that. Sure. I'm going to be attending Rally On which is Rally Software Development Company's um, annual conference. It's in Phoenix, June 17th, or sorry, June 15th to the 17th. Right. And I will be giving um, a lightning talk, and for people who aren't familiar with it, lightning talks are intended to be quick, so they're usually five minutes or less, mm-hmm. um, informative and um, fun. Mm. And I will be talking about um, applying Agile practices and tools to our everyday life. I'll also be recording it, and I'm in the process of creating a YouTube uh, channel, and so I'll make sure that that's added to the YouTube channel after the conference. Right. And I had a chance to preview um, Ren's presentation, and um, it is exceptionally creative and clever. If you have a chance to attend that conference, you'll want to go and sit in on Ren's talk. And for most folks who won't have that chance, like Ren says, the the YouTube channel with the presentation will be available after the rally conference. Yep. So thank you all for listening and tuning in. Please tell your friends about The Guardian podcast. There were twice as many people who came and downloaded Ren's white paper on SAFE during the month of May as any previous month. So thank you, those of you who did tell your friends, and be sure and come back next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.